Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me as always, Revenue Cat CEO, Jacob Biding. Our guest today is Eric Crowley, a tech investment banker with GP Bullhound. With investments in companies ranging from Spotify to Whoop and clients such as Alltrails, Pinkbike, and Lingoda, GP Bullhound provides transaction advice and capital to many of the leaders in the consumer subscription software space. On the podcast, we talk with Eric about his 2021 report on consumer subscription software, the truth about LTV calculations, and the new era of organic user acquisition. Hey, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Hey, David, Jacob, thanks for having me back. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so every year you release this report, so we had to get you back. So this is the third annual uh, consumer subscription software report. Um, and I wanted to kick off just asking you a little bit about kind of the motivation and, and where you, your headspace is in thinking about creating this, like who the kind of target is and, and what kind of questions you're asking yourself as you prepare this report. Yeah, so the, the report David's referencing is it's the GP Bullhound Consumer Subscription Software Report, or as I call it, CSS, which is kind of a playoff SaaS. Um, as David said, this is the third year I've been writing it. Um, and it started back in 2018. I worked with a company called Alltrails that, you know, was starting to monetize really well by selling subscriptions to consumers. And it was just like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh my God, this is a phenomenal way to provide a consistently improving product to consumers where, you know, the margins are pretty good. It's easy to access a ton of different people globally through the app stores or through the web. Uh, and I just got really excited about it. So I started just putting some notes down on my own. And then GP Bullhound really supported me and saying like, hey, this is actually a pretty big trend. There's gonna be some amazing companies built around this space. And, you know, companies like Revenue Cat that are supporting CSS companies are, are just as exciting. And so we've been, you know, kind of slowly educating ourselves. And so, you know, the goal behind the report is really just to force me to do some thinking about the space, what it looks like, what it will be. Right. As a banker, right, you can quickly just focus like transaction, 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 and not really do any like long term thinking about where the world's going. So it's kind of putting myself in your guys' shoes, right? You guys are building Revenue Cat, not for what the world looks like today, but for what the world looks like in three to five years. And so I try to take the same approach with CSS and, and think about where is the, th the world going to go. So I talk to a lot of smart people as I put the report together, entrepreneurs, investors get their opinions. You guys can see their interviews in the report. Um, and then ultimately, I like to publish it. And so, you know, the audience I like to think about is is entrepreneurs, people that are thinking about starting a CS company or, or have already launched one, and they're looking to, you know, improve their metrics or, you know, think about their target audience. These entrepreneurs rich, right, by partnering with them, you know, investing in their businesses and getting them to the next level. So, and the, the other way I like to think about it, it's, it's my own personal scoreboard, right? I love to flip back like two years ago. And was, like, was I right about this company? And, you know, you're, you're publishing in public, right? So people can always come back to you and say, man, you were way off. <laughs> um, and so so I look forward to that. I, I remember the uh, finding the first one, the 2018, I guess, report or 2019, whenever the first one you put out. Um, 2019. 2019. I think that's how we met, actually. Yeah, yeah. Did you reach out to me or I think I found it? Or I don't remember what it was, but... Uh, we've had a, a mutual friend, Nico, introduced oh, us okay. and said, Hey, you guys should talk about this. Um, and then you, I think we just went off on a two hour tangent. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember, I remember being, it's still, there's still not a ton of like really focused research or writing on this space. 
Um, and I think that that you know this won't we're, that probably won't be true for very long, right? As like as it continues to grow, but like uh, it, going back to like who it's for. I mean, I imagine at some you know end of the day, if if your employer is pushing in some kind of lead gen, right? But it does provide a lot of value for you know even if you're not interested in a transaction or whatever, just to see some like holistic data on a space. Cause like I you know the same, I mean, Eric, you said we're, we're thinking three and five years in the future. It's like, I wish like a lot of times I'm thinking <laughs> like three to six weeks in the future. Right. Um, and so it's even useful. I think, um, you know, even if you're, you know, I, you know, we're, we're in a bit of an interesting place as a infrastructure provider to be at kind of a bird's eye view, but even if you're a founder on one of these CSS apps, you know, like it is useful for you to know, like what's the meta, environment how's it evolving you know and if nothing else to like connect you with other people who have you know experimented with things and, and stuff like that so yeah I, I think it provides beyond beyond the uh the uh the lead gen aspect of it it provides a lot of value for people so i'm glad it, i'm glad you're you, you're still doing it yeah and just for any of the listeners it is free so you can just go to the gpbullhound.com website it's all easy to download and then you can see all our past reports as well so yeah and we'll drop it in the show notes as well but uh, yeah, and, and, and speaking of all that, um, you know, it, it's something we as Revenue Cat want to get more into as well. I mean, just seeing how much value you've created in producing these reports, and we're kind of sitting on, uh, you know, now that we're processing over a billion dollars a year in uh, subscription revenue, uh, we've got a lot of interesting data that that we uh, that I'm very personally excited to share that we haven't uh, kind of had the infrastructure to 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 do yet, but are are getting there. And uh, so hopefully we'll we'll have our own kind of uh, state of subscriptions that dives into the the data and some of the trends and stuff in a different way than than your kind of uh, strategy and and higher level look at things. Um, but one one thing that has happened uh, and it actually was announced before your last report, but actually implemented since your last report. And that's the app tracking transparency in iOS 14, which didn't actually ship to iOS, what was it, 14.4 or five or something. So um, so we're kind of just now starting to see the impacts of it. And, and you, know, you took a couple of slides in your report to start discussing it. And it really is kind of, one of the biggest topics and top of mind for subscription app developers because it really is a huge shift in the landscape. So I wanted to to kind of start with talking about that. And one of the things you shared in the um, in the the presentation is that you feel like it's a short-term pain that's ultimately going to lead to a long-term gain. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to hear your thinking around what that pain is, but then also what you see the the long term game being. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great point, and you know, anytime Apple or Google make changes to their 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 app stores, right, it's a seismic shift throughout the industry because it, it's something that impacts everyone, and so everyone has to be aware of these changes and then ultimately have a plan for them. And so I think the the change you're talking about, David, is is really the the implementation of um, removing tracking for a lot of a lot of these businesses specifically facebook and so what the change did with idfa is it it really deprecated the ability for for marketers within some of these css businesses to really accurately target people specifically using facebook or some of these other social networks and so what it's doing is it it's it's impacting the conversion rates on um css css businesses marketing to consumers and so if you just can't find that person that just is in love with for example biking if you're a strava 
uh, marketer, it just takes you a lot longer to find that specific subscriber. So you might have to market to, to 10 people now to find two subscribers versus before you can market to five people and find two subscribers. And so it just means marketing efficiency is going down and that can impact growth rates. It can impact conversion rates and ultimately impact just financials of these businesses. And so it's a pretty important consideration for any uh, CEO marketing team on how they go out and get their, their business in front of consumers. Um, and if Facebook's no longer as efficient, they have to find other ways. And so, so my, my thought is like, this is a short term problem, right? It's something that's going to take people two to three months to adapt and find a new way to reach consumers. But ultimately, my hope is for the space is you see the long term game, which is what I was referencing is that people really focus on organic ways of acquiring customers, right? So instead of just pumping ads through Facebook and trying to find someone who fits a profile, you spend a lot more time really narrowly targeting your demographic, your niche, and then finding ways for them to find your product organically. Either, you know, so like a company that I work with, uh, we sold a company called Pink Bike. And so what they do is they partner with uh, the trail associations for mountain bikers. And those trails associations now act almost as the marketing partner of Pink Bike to let consumers know about the fact that all the trail detail is on is on the Pink Bike app, or it's called Trail Forks. And so that's that's a really powerful organic customer acquisition tool that they don't have to pay for. And so you're seeing, seeing the same thing happen with um, like Strava's doing this. Um, Prey.com recently partnered with the NFL. So if your team's got a, a last uh, fourth quarter field goal and you need to get something kicked, you can go to Prey.com and submit a prayer for your kicker. I wish I was joking. It's a pretty brilliant idea. So I think this is really good for the sector overall. But yeah, happy to dive into it. It's it's a fascinating area. Uh, we, we it's a call back to uh, Subclub podcast content. But um, Greg, this the, uh, the the plant app. This is something that they were doing, um, which is like we're partnering with uh, uh, nurseries. plant nurseries. Yeah, to like get their app into people's hands. And uh, I don't know if it's earned media or, or bought media, but this is more like this is earned, right? This is like building an audience. You've seen it in the maker community actually a lot, like in the indie SaaS community more. It's a different game when it has to be consumer scale, right? Like there's a little bit different. You have to build maybe a bit more than you would in like, oh, just blog about how I built this thing and that's enough to get indies. But you can apply the same thing, right? It's like produce content, produce something like low investment for users to get engaged with your brand because you're not building an app unless you have some... I mean, maybe you are, but you're not going to build something with very high like multiples. Like if you're if you don't have something unique to offer in the first place, but put that in like a, a more like lightly consumable format, start to build that audience, and then make that an on ramp. And yeah, I agree. Like that's that's something you own, right? Like your brand is not your brand doesn't exist on the app store, right? Like your brand can exist outside of these like shifting sands and regulations and whatnot, and and ultimately is like you know going to get reflected in your asset value if that's something you care about right so yeah that's that's a key thing we talk about right if, if any business that we look at that's potentially selling or, or thinking about raising capital right it's like how are you finding your users and if you're if your one channel is facebook uh and then consequently like doing facebook ads or apple ads on the on the app store that becomes pretty challenging and so you want it to be a, such a good product right so it involves more work up front just as you're talking about jacob the product's got to be better it's got to be more efficient it's got to reach consumers where they are with the problem they have um it becomes a lot more viral and a lot more sticky so i think i think it's going to be good for the sector overall you wouldn't want to name names of course but i am curious if if you've had any clients or just talked to anybody in the space where they were very reliant on Facebook specifically and then, and have really struggled as things have changed. You know, I, I've been seeing some tweets around the, 
um, the consumer uh, packaged goods space where some of these CPG companies are really struggling. And so I'm just curious if, you know, if, without naming names, if, if there's any kind of high level things you could share around apps that have struggled in this new paradigm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can't name names. You know, obviously, I keep everything confidential with my clients. But even non-clients, you've seen CACs go up 20 30%. Um, you see, like, if you think about, like, conversion rates from installs to subscribe, that's a big metric of actual intent. Did you find the right user, right? Did someone just click on it and download it? Great. But if they're not actually subscribing, that wasn't a successful transaction for you. And so the way I think about this, David, is it's the app store has made tracking a lot harder. So it's harder to find your right consumer. So th- imagine if you're a CPG company and you walk into a grocery store and instead of stuff being laid out perfectly across the shelves at the right heights for you, they just tossed everything in the middle of the store and said, find what you want. Just go pick it out, right? You're going to have much lower conversion. You're going to have much lower purchase rates because people aren't being targeted with the stuff they want to see. And so I think now you have to find, you know, it becomes more of a specialty situation where you're walking into a store that has stuff for just outdoor gear or very healthy granola, right? And you're going specifically to that store for that item. That's probably better in the long term um, for a lot of these companies. Yeah, but there's yeah. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, folks that have benefited from this the ease, relative ease, right? And and any sort of market disruption is going to be painful. I mean, I I was like anecdotally. I mean, David, we've heard on this podcast and elsewhere of people who have just like straight up pause acquisition who are like yep. all re-scrambling because yeah, you, you get it tuned to this very fine knife edge. And I imagine for like consumer physical goods, like D 2 C stuff, it's even worse because their margins are thinner than software, right? And they've got inventory and everything. Yeah. yeah it's a totally different market. <laughs> but you know, as you do, like you, you, the market reshuffles and the, the people that can figure it out the fastest are going to, are, you know, going to come out the best. So there's going to be a shift though. So if people understand, this is like that seismic shift that just shows how much of your reliance is on maybe one or two channels, right? Two, two major tech companies sitting here in San Francisco. If, if you're tr- truly relying on those and you're doing great, fine. But if a bump happens, right, how exposed are you? And so like this will be a benefit for Stripe, right? I think it's going to be a huge benefit for TikTok, right? I think people are finding really good ways to acquire customers through TikTok. And so that's a a very interesting channel. I think it'll be really good for influencers, right? Mm. If you have people that are very passionate about a certain space um, and then they go out and, um, you know, have a very core customer base that that loves what they do specifically, it's going to be pretty powerful for them too. Yeah, and I was just going to say anecdotally, you know, we haven't done a super deep dive in our data, but at a at a high level, I was kind of bracing for our numbers to take a big dip. Like I I mean, you know, Jacob and I had talked about it in the spring about, you know, how what it's going to look like for Revenue Cat, you know, are some of these subscription apps just going to completely unwind and people are apparently figuring it out because, yeah. you know, it's keeps going up and to the right. <laughs> I mean, the consumer, the consumer need hasn't disappeared, right? So maybe if they just weren't driven, you know, it's not gonna, it can't just disappear overnight, right? Like if you never, yeah. if, you, if you are a Coke fan and you never saw a Coke ad again, it's like, you're still gonna buy it, right? Like there's 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 a certain amount of demand that's just gonna find the supply. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's hard for us to, to definitively say, looking at our data in aggregate, just because there's so much, but there definitely was, like this summer was definitely slower than we've had in the past. <laughs> like on my, as I'm writing my investor updates for the year and or each month and stuff, looking at it. But it, yeah, it wasn't like this catastrophic, you know, a, a macro thing. I think we're talking about a lot of like, you know, probably outliers that we hear about people who were affected, you know, more than others. But overall, I, I don't think our I don't think our prediction last year of of a potential recession was necessarily false. Like it doesn't it definitely. 
doesn't feel like it's sped up the ecosystem, right? But it doesn't necessarily feel like a, a depression, right? Maybe maybe a slight recession or just a normalization. And looking at our data in aggregate, that some folks use this to their advantage and actually and and accelerated because they knew it was coming and they did focus more on product and organic and other things. And so for whatever you know losses there were other folks more than made up for that. And that's kind of the interesting thing about working with so many, I mean, we're closing in on 10,000 apps on Revenue Cat. And so, you know, you kind of have a pretty broad basket where, you you know, both, there are going to be winners and losers, but in aggregate, subscription apps are just continuing to tick along and do really well. Yeah, David, it's like you read directly from bullets on my report. <laughs> I, uh, I, I did. Another thing I wanted to dive into was the the COVID bump because that's that's another thing that's kind of been on everybody's minds is simultaneous to this um, iOS fourteen and 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 this is something we've talked about again internally uh, with Revenue Cat is is this summer was the everybody was vaccinated and and Delta hadn't kind of bumped yet um, and so you know May June and July there was a big shift socially. Um, kind of, it felt like, it, especially in the U.S., that we were coming out of the pandemic, um, and and so simultaneous to the app tracking transparency going into effect, we had these like societal shift, and then now we're kind of back into it a little bit with the the Delta surge. But just curious, what your thoughts are on how much of the boost we saw in 2020 really was the pandemic? And then how much of that will actually linger as kind of shifting consumer preferences and shifting consumer spend? Yeah, I mean, there's there's absolutely companies that benefited from, let's just call it the removal of in, in, in-person conversations, right? So like Bumble and Duolingo, two companies that both went public, uh, right? They both benefited because their, their business model is designed around not meeting in person for the first couple of conversations, right? And so there's no way to say that they didn't benefit. Um, the way I think about it, though, in this in the CSS space, it's very similar to like the overall e-commerce space, right? As consumers looked around to find a solution for a problem they're having, right? Instacart, you couldn't you couldn't go to the grocery store, or maybe you felt less comfortable going to the grocery store, so you tried Instacart for the first time. Maybe you were you know thinking about meeting someone you know long term, but you never you never wanted to try online dating. Well, you couldn't go to the bar, so you tried online dating for the first time. And so I think what what the pandemic did was it really opened up people's eyes to other options from what they had been doing for the last 20 years, 50 years, whatever it was. And so they, they had to find other solutions to, you know, their demands, their needs. And so I don't, I think it's, it's absolutely a COVID bump, but I, I still look at it as really as an accelerant of people adopting new products and services that they would have tried in three to four years anyway. Uh, but the pandemic kind of pushed them to try something to move out of their comfort zone and try something new. So, you know, I absolutely think you'll see a little bit of a downshift in in some of these companies that had a really big boom, right? Like language learning, people had nothing to do for four to five months, especially over some of the winter times. So people tried a new hobby, tried language learning. You know, that'll probably go down a little bit. But overall, if you look at it from a, like a five-year trend, it's going to be up substantially from where it was in 2017, 2018, 2019. And 2020, you know, made it look like a little bit of bump, but eventually I think those companies will continue to grow and surpass what anything they did in 2020. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'll, I'll back that up as well. With it's the, <laughs> the, the unreleased, Jacob looks at graphs and then gives uh, gives uh, hand wavy descriptions of them. But we, uh, yeah, we we were. I was kind of bracing for it as well. And I would say the summer was slow. And like David was saying, it's like 
We're not sure why. I think it was I think it was a number of factors. Things have since picked up again. Um, but I think generally summers are slow for software, A, and then B, like, yeah, I think we were seeing kind of like a little bit of the payback for, for COVID perhaps it's a, it's a, I think it's a plausible theory. We don't, it's really hard to prove. Um, but we have not seen, you know, we, we saw our our COVID experience was really drastic. Um, and we have not Mm -hmm. seen a similar like back off from that. Like it has been like, it has been like, we just compressed six months and I'm, I'm saying I partially, this is just revenue cast individual story because of where we were last year. But then I think also it's in, it's indicative of the system in general. It's like, I think, yeah, we just compressed a whole bunch of, uh, like consumer, uh, behavior change into like a very short period of time. And yeah, we're not gonna be able to keep that up. Right. We're not gonna be able to continue to, to, to crunch that in or it will run out of consumers eventually. But, um, but it doesn't look like everybody's, you know, because, you know, I, I think the story for CSS in general, it's like we, this is delivered value for people, right? Like it, it's, it's a good, it's a good product, right? The whole, like <laughs> not every product is good, but in general, it's like a, it's, it's a decent deal. And so I, I, I think more people discovering that, yeah, it can only get bigger. Right. Yeah. I think we talked about it in our first our first time together, right, on the last podcast, which is if these businesses are truly making consumers' lives better, this is going to be a very long-term trend. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, and the two companies you just mentioned, um, in the time since we last spoke, uh, both Bumble and Duolingo went public and, and some other consumer subscription um, apps went public. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your your perspective on the the public investor excitement for CSS. I mean, we're seeing pretty high multiples, and and both those IPOs did did very well. Uh, so what are you seeing in the in the public investor space? Yeah, I think I think the public market has really woken up to this business model, the power of it, and understanding. You know, it's public markets; they do a lot of pattern matching, right? If they've seen something be super successful, they look for something that looks similar to that. And so I think a lot of people are waking up to um, how powerful SaaS was not waking up. They're well awake, very aware of SaaS businesses. Uh, so I, but I think they're seeing that same pattern start to take hold on CSS. It just has different metrics, right? And so, you know, Bumble's now public. The match group's been public for quite some time. Once they spun out of IAC, you've got Netflix and Spotify, which are fantastic examples of the international global reach of content, um, and how consumers are very sticky for something they love. And so, these businesses it can get to scale really quickly. Like you, you, Noom, right, is a competitor to Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers has been around for decades, but Noom built a better mousetrap. They acquired customers at a really quick rate. And, you know, they're well over 400 million in revenue and ready for the public market. So I expect them to go public here pretty soon. And so I think there's going to be a lot of businesses that follow them that are using this, this metric. So, um, and then that'll cascade all the way through uh, from public market investors as, as exit opportunities all the way down to, you know, series A, series B uh, investors seeing this business model work and scale. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess my, like, what's your, like, I, I, when, when we started seeing these that go public in the last like couple of years, well, I, I mean, honestly, it's like, since we've started revenue cat, I feel like it was actually the kind of the first unicorns even <laughs> like, I guess Bumble might've been past unicorn when we got started, but like there weren't a ton. And now it's like every every month there's a funding announcement for a CSS company. That's a, that's a unicorn. I mean, partially that's just like valuations going up and stuff like this, but like, how do you see, you know, the evolution of this market long-term, you know, so Duolingo pops becomes the first, you know, are they going to be like Salesforce and just be dominant in that space forever? Or do you see it being maybe more dynamic than SaaS is? I think it's a little more dynamic than SaaS for, for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, consumers like to try stuff. 
right? And so if they, you know, it's with like a Salesforce or something, right? That integrates into your day-to-day operations from a business model perspective, right? So if, if something breaks there, right? Your Cost business of switching breaks. is very high. Yeah, right? it's, it's a little higher, right? And it's not just you using it, it's your entire business, right? So you've got 10 people using this product or 20 people or 5,000, depending on the size of your company, right? In CSS, it's, it's you, maybe you and your family. Right. So it's a little bit of a different switching cost. So that's that's one. However, these companies can scale a lot faster um, and they can uh, they don't have like the heavy, heavy costs you need on the sales and marketing side. So I think they have an ability to actually get to profitability a lot faster, mm. especially if they have an organic uh, customer acquisition engine. And so I, I think that's going to be a big difference between that, uh, between CSS and SaaS. So, yeah, you mentioned the metrics are different. What are what are the metrics that folks are uh, public investors are are looking at for these companies that might be different from a SaaS company? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are, are the same metrics, but the numbers that are like good are different, mm. right? So like on a SaaS business model, right? Revenue growth is just as attractive as a CSS business model revenue growth, right? Everyone wants to see high double digits, triple digit numbers on revenue growth. Um, but like an interesting thing is net revenue retention. Now that's very different, right? In CSS, you typically don't upcharge people or have additional seats be filled because it's just one person, right? So, you know, maybe you get an organic. It's not much expansion opportunity, right? Yeah, it's, you can you can do maybe some some packages upgrades and people are starting to experiment that. You can, pack it, you can experiment with bump, uh, bundling. But it's certainly never going to be greater. It's never going to be net positive, right? Um, no, you're sure. never going to see a net positive number where a lot of the SaaS businesses, right? People are looking for net revenue retention numbers of north of 120, 120% net revenue retention. Meaning the opposite of churn, right? Which, which exactly. if you have a CSS business with the opposite of churn, Congratulations. Like. Yeah, you're doing something well and I haven't found it yet, <laughs> yeah. but I will. You might be the only one. <laughs> yes, I think that's right. Quick point though, to counterpoint to what y'all were both just saying, um, of all the apps, um, dating app, it's totally slipping my mind. Tinder. Tinder, thank you. Partnership, David. Look at us. We're like on a wavelength. <laughs> they, they have in-app purchase, they have consumable in-app purchases to boost your um, profile they're one of the few that I've seen that could potentially actually have a a, a, a positive uh, um, net revenue retention, uh, whereas most subscription apps are just a subscription. Um, yep. It's going to be interesting to see if other subscription apps can pull off that sort of model that you could actually generate a, a net, net revenue retention. I, I think you nailed it, David. So that's coming quickly. Right. I think people first experimented with, hey, look, how do I get someone to buy my product every year or every month? Right. And now it's how do you make it even better? So they're starting to listen to their core users. And we talk about this a little bit on the LTV side. And what do these people want and what makes this experience even better for them? And I think you nailed it with Tinder. Right. It's the most it's the easiest thing to convince people to, to encourage more is more, you know, more relationships. Right. People love more relationships and people are willing to pay for that. And so, you know, then what else, what else could this go down the path of, right? What other options could people pay for additional services or what we've seen is like marketplaces or transactions spinning off yeah. these, right? So if you have a really passionate user base and they're going out there doing um, camping, for example, like on, on the dirt, it's a camping uh, site, right? What about doing a marketplace to buy and sell used tents, right? Now is not a subscription, but now someone's paying like, okay, now they bought something through your marketplace and you get 10% of that purchase price. So there's going to be a lot of stuff I think that happens there. 
um, to encourage that to encourage that LTV number to start rising. I just haven't seen a ton yet make it happen above the churn. It's a scale problem. You need to do that. You need to be at such scale for that to make sense. I was going to say for anybody listening to this that hasn't reached <laughs> twenty million in ARR, probably north yeah. of that, do not add a marketplace to your life. I totally agree with that. Very, very much focus, focus, focus. Until I would even say like closer to fifty million. Yeah, I mean, until you're like, how do we get this thing public, right? How do we show like? How do we show like N plus one revenue streams, right? Like it's kind of more what it's about than it is necessarily the revenue generated. Jacob, I'm just a dreamer though. You're just a realist. I'm here, I'm here dreaming and you're just telling me all the stuff that'll go wrong. One of the things you just kind of touched on that, that I wanted to dive deeper into was, was the truth about LTVs. And I love this slide on, the, on your presentation, uh, uh, kind of defining these two cohorts um, which I've never heard defined this way, and I, I really love the analogy, and I'm going to start start stealing it from you and using it uh, and crediting do. you, of course. <laughs> um, but in the presentation, you define um, tourists and locals and, and then talk about kind of the importance of identifying these different cohorts. So tell me about who the locals are and why that matters and who the tourists are and how companies can start um, analyzing their data to understand this and, and better target marketing, better uh, craft the experience in the app and, and those sorts of things. Yeah, so we're, we're going to geek out here, guys, and really go deep into CSS, right? So this is where this is where my brain goes sometimes on a Saturday night, which is just exciting. <laughs> um, but so the way I've been thinking about CSS a lot, and so the LTV component of CSS, which is lifetime value, which I'm sure all your listeners are very, very aware of, is kind of like how much money can you make from this consumer over time, right? And it's a function of your pricing and it's in a function of your churn rate. And so um, a lot of people are very focused on this metric as investors or buyers, right? Because it's effectively how valuable is your customer. So it's an extremely important metric. The problem with this metric and lots of other metrics is it's, it's derived from an average, right? It's looking at all your users that come into your, in, into your ecosystem as paying customers and then how do they perform over time? Uh, and it's it's driven it's driven off an average of all your users. And so when I've gone through some of my clients' data and you look at their user base, right, we we quickly discover there's a there's kind of two different profiles. And I won't use any names here, but let's just let's just say it's a walking company, right? So you're you've got people that go out and they they sign up. You have 100 people that sign up, and 20 of them start walking every day, and they're and they this is what they love, and they're tracking their walking. And you've got another 40 that do it for like a month or two, and then they kind of drop off and, and they just like, all right, I'm going to go do biking or skateboarding or something. And I switch. And then you've got another people that sign up, they subscribe to it because their friend pressured them into it and they hate walking and they're never going to walk again. And they churn off immediately, right? So you kind of have those three different groups, some that are just going to do it every month, some that do it for two to three months and then leave. And then some that do it the first month and then say, forget this, I'm never going to use this again. And so the problem is your LTB of, of each one of those three groups are very, very different. And so what we've what we've been guiding investors and entrepreneurs as they think about their growing their business is really find out who those locals are, who are those people that are going to come and use your app every day, every week, every summer, whatever, whatever the metric is that you're looking for, and find ways to measure that, right? Because ultimately that's who you need to to bring to your community. And one, those people make the community real more robust, right? Because they're constantly contributing feedback into the community. Two, uh, they're much more likely to, to stay around with you guys. And so you need to find those tools that they're looking for, right? Like seeing around the corner and saying like, okay, this person loves walking. What else could I provide them? What about a weather forecast? So now that they are about to go out and walking, you know, what does the weather look like? And oh my God, this is now, this is my one-stop stop for, for walking. 
And so I think what we've been guiding people is like, if you use the averages as a broad metric, and that's great, you should, because investors are going to want to know that, but, but really dig deep into your, your cohorts and understand like who's using this every day, all day, and what do they need? And so if you can really identify that and show that LTV to, to investors, I think you can get people a lot more excited than just like that average LTV, right? Because this shows them potential what it can be over three to five years, which is really important if you're two or three year old company, right? And try to convince someone to yeah. invest in you. Showing them that lifetime value of the tour or the locals is going to be a lot more valuable than that average. Yeah. I mean, if you think about just as the, you know, I think it's one of the, you highlighted one of the hard parts of, of assessing these businesses early on is that, yeah, your cohort, like your total subscriber base is very heavily biased on like your most recent cohort. Cause often you're also growing, right? Like often like right. your most recent cohort might be the size of your first five, you know, uh, just because, and, and for that reason, you can really have screwy looking data. Um, but, you know, if you think five years from now, most of the, those other two groups you mentioned, they'll have churned out from most cohorts, right? And then the only ones remaining for four years of cohorts will be these locals and these long-term retention. And then your total subscriber base is going to look very different than it does today, right? And yeah, and I'll admit, like Revenue Cat, we I've tried to solve this problem in the product, uh, and we still are trying to solve this problem in the product. It's how do we like show people because you're, you're dealing with a mixed population right and like you, you can also also run into a problem of begging the question or like doing very like look <laughs> you go to an investor and say like look look how great my retention is if i just ignore all the bad users <laughs> right like let me just look at the good ones right but there is something there in that what you're talking about eric that long that very long-term view is that if these users like really do retain for a long time eventually they will be the lion's share of your subscriber base exactly. and that churn that we talk about like you know if you're adding one percent of your total user base the most you can experience off of that is like one percent of churn right versus when you're adding half you know if you have a hundred you know ten thousand subscribers and you add ten thousand in a month that's going to be a huge effect to your overall subscription subscription base right um so yeah i think i think you know we certainly have a lot to build on the tooling side right and i, I think it goes to what you're talking about earlier about we're very early. <laughs> like, we, I mean, Revenue Cat, we've like just kind of solved infrastructure. Like, infrastructure. <laughs> I mean, I would even say kind of because there's a lot for us that we need to do yet. Um, but as far as like data science and actually, yeah, being able to outside of a spreadsheet understand this stuff, it's 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 not trivial. It's not trivial at all. It's extremely hard, and I think like because there's so much more you could do once you've broken those two cohorts into tourists and locals, right? Like, how do you acquire the locals versus how do you acquire the tourists? Our tourists coming through like Facebook, Apple store, and the locals are coming from referrals. Okay. So maybe your Facebook spend, is that even worth doing the spending on, mm -hmm. right? If they're, if they're turning off after a month or two, you know, subscribers is a vanity metric, right? If they don't stay, right. You can grow. We talked about this in our 2020 report. We have like this cheetah versus thoroughbred, right? And it's really easy to show a ton of growth and you've got all these subscribers and everything is fantastic, right? But if those subscribers get tired and they churn off right away, you kind of probably wasted money on yeah. it, right? Maybe you got paid back and a month, right? So you didn't lose like on the, the CAC spend, right? Yeah. But you're not building your business, right? You're just kind of you're pinching pennies. A lot of heat, but not a lot of work, right? Like it's not actually getting translated into business value. Exactly. So is it better to kind of focus on the product, right? Figure out what those those uh, tourists are using and spend less time on the marketing side and really nail the product side? Hey, you'll probably grow slower, right? That That's an issue. That's a risk you have to take. But maybe you can grow more efficiently, more capital efficiently. Lately, capital's free now, so like, <laughs> that's not a problem. That's a fair point. And listen, half of that's my fault. I'll take full responsibility for some of that, right? I think it's interesting how this like feeds into you know, kind of going back to targeting and ad targeting. How often folks will 
optimize Facebook campaigns on like trial conversion. And that doesn't even, that doesn't, that's all your tourists and your locals. I mean, maybe some of those that never even start a trial would be because, but there's a lot of tourists in that group that start a trial, right. Or convert a trial. And a lot of people are targeting off of that. Right. And so as these methods become less good, uh, it will force, it'll force developers to, yeah, maybe, you know, do one of these scary things, actually talk to users, right? Like actually like find those locals, like go in your analytics. And I think uh, just think as you were talking, I just want to point out that like, I don't think you necessarily need to define this off of monetization retention either. It could just be retention, like pure usage retention, but it could also be engagement. engagement. Yeah. yeah. I think about the way Facebook, um, oriented their growth teams very early on, which was like finding people that connected, like that was a really key step for them in their product was to get people to make like two, three or four, I forget, some number of friends and they oriented all of their growth efforts around that. Find the thing that people do in your app that shows that they're engaged and give them opportunities to show that. And then, you know, you can use that as an indicator. Okay, talk to those folks and actually talk to them, right? Like find out, put something in your app that lets you reach out to them in some way and like yeah. have get on a Zoom call. I've done... It's it's easier now in SaaS land because I I I uh, app people I'm an app people like I know how to talk to them but when we were when I was working consumer phone calls were more awkward right <laughs> it was different you're talking yeah. to folks like outside of computer land but still like just incredibly valuable and 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 I think like you know if we want to talk about the way to build the way to fully realize how CSS is going to, I'm, I'm just going to go all in on your term, Eric, by the way. So I'm going to, we're going to, yeah, totally I'm going to push it. We're going to standardize, but it's not trademark, but knock it out. <laughs> all right. So to fully like, to fully realize the potential to like solve problems for people, like I think we need to lean into this more of this model, right? Rather than I've, I've always kind of like had an uncomfortable relationship with how revenue cap fits into the like, hyper fast monetization stack, right? Of like get users, check your CAC, put more money into Facebook, right? And so um the more that the industry gets away from that, the happier I am. I don't know, like you said, maybe it doesn't grow quite as fast, but I think the overall TAM will be larger, right? If we take that approach. I think that's right. And you know, I, th I mean, I've talked to a bunch of founders that haven't raised capital, right? And they build something that like their users love, right? Like, so I don't know if you guys saw the deal with day one that got bought by mm -hmm. automatic raised almost zero outside capital, right? Friends he of the cat. Yeah. Big yeah. fans of day one. Yeah. Yeah. I was a big, I, was, I thought it's an awesome business and he did that exact same thing, right? He just listened to his users. He didn't care about vanity metrics, grew really nicely, right? And it wasn't like, you know, he's not getting TechCrunch publishing, but that's fine. Right. You know, owned an amazing business and then, you know, got a fantastic exit out of it. And so I think I think people are really waking up to that's a very much of a possibility here in this world. Yeah. One thing I wanted to highlight, too, in that graph that you made um, and, and for people who are listening to this, you can go to the show notes and, and we'll have links to the uh, Eric's uh, presentation and, and you can find this chart. But to visualize page, it, page 18, page 18. <laughs> if you're following along at home, um, the uh, line for the locals drops. So, you know, even, even for locals, you're going to have some churn early on, but then it essentially flatlines. Um, and, and I'm sure you did that very purposely to kind of illustrate how, how long-term some of these, these, this retention can end up being. And, and it's something we've actually been talking on the podcast about recently is that we're so early in the space, we don't even really know what, how to measure LTV because you're going to have people who end up subscribing for decades um, and years and years and years, if not decades. And so 
And, and then, you know, to your point about the, the cheetah versus thoroughbred, another great chart in the uh, page number, Jacob, page number, uh, I don't <laughs> cheetah have it, versus sorry. thoroughbred. But in that cheetah versus thoroughbred, the other aspect to locals, and we kind of touched on it earlier, is that those cohorts start to stack. So mm-hmm. when you identify this cohort that is going to be a very long-term cohort that's going to stay subscribed and have very low churn, you, you acquire 100,000 this year, and then they're still there next year, and you put 100,000 on top of that, and those are still there next year. And by year three, you, know, you just continue to grow this pie of people who are very, very sticky in the product. And I think that's part of what um, you know, what you're talking about with Delinguo and Bumble and other companies is like, we're still just starting to understand even as different as this is from SaaS, we're starting to see similar, uh, dynamics as far as early on the churn is so high, but then you do have this really strong stickiness over the long term that, that, that can build a really healthy business of people who really love your, your product and really are invested in it and are going to stay for a really long time. Um, so yeah, I just want to point that out that, that I, I love that aspect of the chart of how flat that line is for the locals. I mean, you, you can see it in your own spending patterns, right? Like how many of you guys have subscribed to Netflix or Spotify for more than five years? And I, yeah. I bet it's a good chunk of your listeners, right? So, I mean, if I look at my phone, right, I'm going to subscribe to all trails for the next decade because yeah. I love it. I've got CSS I, I've started subscribing to in 2013, 14, like as soon yeah. as it was a thing. I've been a Scribd user for four years and, you know, I still download audiobooks or uh, I download other books from like the San Francisco library because I'm probably the cheapest banker of all time. <laughs> um, but, you know, I still use Scribd. It's finding margin, Eric. You're finding margin. That's what that is. <laughs> exactly. I pinch pennies all day. Um, but yes, I mean, I, I think those tales, David, to your point, are still being written. And so that's the whole point, right? If you use average LTV and you say, all right, well, we have 30% churn, that math means you lose every user in three years. And that's just not how it works. Right. And if with, with really good businesses that are delivering value, right? And so then once you convince people of that, right, the investment case becomes a very different conversation. And then, and speaking of that, you you had a great uh, slide on investor benchmarks, and so I wanted to get to that real quick. Tell me about how you how you thought about these different metrics and what and how investors think about these metrics, because, you know, we're talking about LTV and in there you have LTV to CAC of you, you know, for a really strong app that investor would be super excited about, you're closer to 6X versus less than 3X, you start to cool off. So um, yeah, walk us through each of these metrics and kind of how you think about it, how you think investors think about it, and even how that's kind of maturing as we understand the space better. Yeah. And, and just to, to note, like these metrics are all different for different types of businesses, right? If you've been around for a year, these metrics look very different versus if you've been around for 10 years, right? If you're in high growth, you know, venture back, spending a lot of money, these metrics look very different than if you're a bootstrap business, you know, just trying to inch out like, you know, 10% growth a year, right? So they can be very different. And the important thing is, how does the story of your business and what you're trying to accomplish tie to these metrics, right? So that's what we spent a lot of time talking to founders about is, is what's good based on what you're trying to do, right? So it's just how you how do you tell your story through the metrics? Um, but yeah, so a couple of your points, like on this on the slide, we talk about like user growth rates, gross margins, LTV to CAC, uh, churn rates, free to paid conversion rate, and then sales efficiency. Um, and then you know just to talk about something different, we we talked about LTV a little bit earlier, but maybe talking about uh, churn, 
right? And so like, how quickly do people churn off, right? And so that's, there's a couple different ways to interpret churn, right? It's one, they didn't find your product helpful. Two, they thought it was really expensive. Um, or if they're not churning, they really love something you've put together, right? And they decided to pay you multiple times for that, either monthly or annual. And so what we just try to do is try to tell the story of where the business is at and where it's going by looking at these metrics. And so, you know, that's why it's so important to truly understand these metrics, because if you don't understand the metrics, it's hard to tie that to the story. Um, so we spend a lot of time with any client or even non-clients just talking about this stuff to truly understand, you know, what investors care about. And it's, you know, if someone's buying the business, they may care a very different, they may care about very different metrics for someone who's investing your business for growth, right? So someone's going to put 40%, $40 million on your balance sheet to go grow. They may be focused less on LTV to CAC now because like your LTV is not formally formed, right? They don't know how good it is, but they will focus very heavily on churn, which is a reflection of how good your product is and how good you're finding consumers that love your product, right? So those, those are metrics that they may focus. They may be more comfortable spending a lot of money in the next two years, right? So your CAC is going to look a lot worse because they want you to acquire a lot of users to make the platform a lot better. Right. And a lot of CSS businesses, right? UGC is a is a is a spin-off of user activity on the platform. People uploading photos, reviews, they're adding new new items on on the platform for other users to use. And so it's worth spending more money to get those people in the first two to three years because your platform will become that much better and that much more valuable. Right. So you may be willing to burn down to a an LTV to CAC of three X or something like that in the near term, or sometimes even two X or one X, because it's a land grab for those consumers. Once you're on their platform, right, now you want to see that LTV to CAC start to move up a little bit, right? So you start to put it to four, five, six X um, LTV to CAC. So it's all about where your business is at it's, it's each different stage. But it's important to have a story and a message around why your numbers are what they are. Of, of the, I have the, the slides open. I, it's like 37 for anybody who's following along at home. Um, all of these, as a veteran SaaS CSS person, uh, every annual user growth rate, gross margin, LTV CAC, all, all clear to me. Sales efficiency ratio. Can you talk about that one? Because that one's that one's uh, not is a little foreign to me. Yeah, it's it's a, it's more of a metric that's come out of SaaS, just to be honest. So it's it's thinking about like uh, it involves like how how many uh, users are you gaining? It's how much revenue you're gaining versus how much money are you putting out there? Mm. So it's a, it's a little bit of a different metric. Um, and most CSS businesses don't get to that yet because they typically don't have heavy sales teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've included it because you're starting to see some of these CSS businesses really start to grow. And so how much revenue are you gaining versus how much revenue you're losing and how much is it costing you to do that? And so that's when you're starting to get into like the tens to $20 million of, of uh, marketing spend a year. It's it's important to understand like how efficient is that spend being, and this is the best metric. We it's just called sales, but you actually throw in marketing spend uh, in there as yep. well. It's just like all go to market spend. Yeah, are you using headcount, not just like mm, the ad dollars, right? I, I want right. to include. It's like a fully loaded CAC number. So right? yeah, your all of your people telling Facebook what to do and, and, yep. and <laughs> exactly like content no, creators, right? like all that stuff, right? Yeah. If you've got 100 people running around campus, right, promoting your app, right, okay, how much do those people cost, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's an important way to think about how much you grow. It's And it's a way to think about, like, how well can you grow capitally efficient, capital with, you know, limited amounts of capital. So it's an important one we look at. It's typically a later stage, right? So yeah. you've got to be, like, north of 20 million of ARR. So it's going to be super growth. high when you're small, right? Because you're, exactly. you've got so it's less important. people are discreet. Right. And, and you can't, you're not continuous. So, and, and also your, your, your revenue just grows less because of like, you know, you're smaller, you're less well known, like your less was momentum, things like this. Well, we're starting to run low on time, but there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but just to hit one last thing, um, 
I also love this chart you did of Pandora versus Spotify. And it's such a, a, an encapsulation really of everything that we've been talking about on this podcast is to see how well Spotify revenue has compounded over the past few years versus uh, Pandora, which which look was the juggernaut, you know, when when um, when Spotify started. Um, so so walk us through this chart and and how and why you think you know Spotify was able to um, to grow the way they did while Pandora really struggled. And obviously, there's a ton of you know other business factors and execution and other things. But it, but I th- I think overall this does speak to the power of CSS. Yeah, and this is this is something we did back in in 2020 when we were just trying to decide like, hey, what's is this CSS thing real? And and a big question you get from from investors and listen, I think a lot of them have stopped asking this question because the, the case studies are out there is why would someone pay monthly or annually for something they can get for free? Uh, and by get for free, it means listening to or watch advertising, right? And so I wanted to see like, all right, graphically or like actually numbers. Will people, will companies make more money by making that really hard decision and say, pay me for what I'm giving you First, I'll give you something for free in exchange every half hour you watch two minutes of ads, right? That's a really hard question to say because it involves you putting a lot of value in your product. And so entrepreneurs, you know, product developers have to say like, is this worth money or am I giving something out to people that, hey, they'll kind of use it if they get it for free, right? So it's a, it's a gut check for people to say like, did I build something that someone will buy? That's hard. That's really challenging to ask yourself, especially if you've started with advertising. Um, and Spotify, you know, listen, they were a small company based in the, in the Nordics, right? Versus Pandora, US-based juggernaut and raised a lot of money, right? That's a tough challenge. And so they took a really tough thing and said like, hey, we're going to go and make people pay for our product and we're going to make it better. But the crazy thing that happens though, right, is you make so much more on a user from subscriptions than you do from advertising, right? On advertising, you're trying to pick up pennies per subscription, on some, or pennies per uh, user on the subscriber you're making 10 20 bucks a month depending maybe maybe 60 dollars a year for a subscriber so the, the amount of users you have compounds so quickly um, and then if you have that heavy retention all of a sudden you've got these really thick layers of cash flow that come in every year you use that cash flow you invest it back in product you invest it back in product and you do it again and again and again and all of a sudden you've got a better product and if you have a better product people will come to it and if it's something that they're using daily, right, why would you not be comfortable like paying five bucks, right? If I think about like how much my Netflix subscription is, right, it's $11 a month or something like that, right? Well, I probably watch 10 hours of Netflix a month, right? So I'm paying a dollar an hour to be entertained. That's a pretty good deal. And so like, I think if people people start doing that math and you start to see like how powerful that, that subscription is per user versus an ad-driven, it becomes pretty interesting. And so I think you've seen this case study play out over and over and over across CSS, where if you build a good enough product, you know, a 10X product versus the free option, people will pay for it. And Spotify does double dip as well, which is interesting, is that they they have a good enough free tier and people can listen for free, but they choose to spend even though they can. And so, so Spotify is a great example of, of double dipping with a great freemium tier, but then a good enough product and a compelling enough reason that people will pay. Yeah. Yep. Not to mention, I, I, I don't know the specifics of Pandora and Spotify's like fundraising history, but if you have like the subscriber and paid subscription revenue momentum, it makes capital more easy to access. And you look at some of this, I think of some of the strategic stuff that Spotify has done, like they got 
the Beatles on Spotify pretty like early on and Led Zeppelin. They, they spent big on partnerships mm-hmm. and content and stuff. And if you have momentum, if you have hard dollars, it's a lot easier to go to an investor and be like, hey, like I want to raise X million dollars. Look at this revenue growth I have. Like this is very clearly a business. I can remember raising money in the pre- revenue is everything era or like trying to raise money. And it was like a lot harder, <laughs> right? Cause it was just like hand waves and we're going to grow and like, da, da, da. and now it's like, yeah, for better or worse, you open the curtain and you show something. Right. But the big benefit too, I think for founders, it's not just for investors, for founders, it's like, yeah, you build a great business. You're, you're building a safety net, right? Like if you can't fundraise, it's not the end of the world. Right? Like you have options. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why I also, I mean, now we're getting into fundraising like macro, but that's part of the reason the fundraising environment is crazy because businesses are sturdier than they've ever been like they need capital less than they've ever needed it right and so like that's why it's gotten cheaper um or you know valuations gotten higher same thing right so um anyway yeah this is a fascinating to put this i i is not on here which was my horse and i was like really pulling for them and i think it's a whole different story why that's not on there but uh but yeah it's fascinating well, I think that's a really fun place to end the the story of Spotify, one of the biggest juggernauts in the space. Um, yeah. But we're going to include in the show notes uh, a link to the to the report, uh, a link to uh, your LinkedIn and Twitter to follow along. Uh, anything else you wanted to share as we wrap up, Eric? No, guys. I mean, always a pleasure to join. Um, one thing I will, you know, just for your audience users, we are trying to make uh, the GP Bullhound CSS report a, a, a resource for founders. And so this year, for the first time ever, we did include uh, a link to um, to a survey. And so if you want to contribute your data, what we'll do is we'll uh, kind of aggregate everything, anonymize it, and then we'll provide back like in a summary to users to say like, hey, here's here's your LTV to CAC. How does this compare to other you know founders at this stage? And so we are trying to be a resource. So you know, I'll probably give you guys that link if you don't mind. We'd love yeah, sure. to have as many people as possibly contribute. Um, no pressure, of course. All of it will be anonymized. This isn't a marketing tactic for us. It's us giving back to the community. Um, and so, yeah, we'd love we'd love people to, to take a ch- second to do the survey. But if not, also don't hesitate to email me, tweet at me, hit me on LinkedIn with questions, comments, and specifically stuff we got wrong. Absolutely <laughs> love to hear like where we can learn better. Yeah. So because we're not we're not building, we're just talking about what you guys. Oh, are and doing. also by so, the time you you print this thing, it's like stuff's changed, right? Like it's changing so yeah. fast. The whole Apple stuff when we were publishing this oh, yeah. thing was happening every day, and I was like, this is unbelievable. And we just see our product roadmap. Right change every minute. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Exa- I had to change a PowerPoint. You guys had to change code. Yeah. So it's, I think one of those is a lot harder. Well, it was great having you on, Eric, and we'll have to make this an, an annual uh, tradition. Sounds, sounds good. We'd welcome it. Yeah, we'll see you next year. See you in 2022. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks, Jacob. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.